0: cedar tea saskatoon berries and the best late night snack up north this week we're in canada traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes tasty beverages and interesting experiences this is the destination eat drink podcast on the radio misfits podcast network I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore a different region or city and talk about the unique dishes from that place, best places to enjoy those dishes, and fun things to do there. And this week, it's all about Canada. But before we dive into the Great White North, let me remind you to subscribe to the podcast. That way, you can get it delivered automatically to your phone, tablet, or computer. Get Destination Eat Drink wherever you get podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever, or go to DestinationEatDrink.com, click on the podcast tab, we've got it there, or at Radiomisfits.com. You know, I've been doing Destination Eat Drink for a year and a half, and we were plugging along very nicely with the podcast, talking about all these different cities to visit, places to go, fun things to do, and then bam, this pandemic hits and all of a sudden we're not talking about places we can go right now, but places where maybe we want to go sometime in the future and yearning for going to places and traveling when the pandemic lifts. So it's kind of a new thing for Destination Eat Drink. And the reason why I'm bringing this up now is not only to talk about the pandemic, but also to talk about some of the businesses that are really hurting during this pandemic. So What we do is when we talk about a certain place, we'll put a link to that place in the show notes. And if you go to radiomisfits.com and click on Destination Eat Drink, you can see the show notes and you can get a link to each of those places. And the reason why it's there is if you're a local, it's a place where you can maybe go and get carry out or get takeout or something like that. Or if you're not a local, maybe they deliver or can ship to you. And so during this pandemic time, it's really important to support some of these smaller businesses, some of these smaller companies. I know it's much easier just to go on Amazon.com and order everything there and huddle up in your house, but these small businesses really need your help during the pandemic. They're estimating that 50 to 75% of the small restaurants may never open again. That's an incredible number. So, if you have the means, if you can, do what you can to help. Brandy Yanchik is a journalist and a TV show and documentary producer. She's from Canada, so it's no surprise when she made her show, Seeing Canada, where she visits all kinds of cool places in Canada, not just your regular spots, but off the beaten spots with an especial emphasis on remote areas and the indigenous, the first peoples of Canada. And so when we talked, she told me about all kinds of cool stuff in Canada, including harvesting shellfish with her feet, ice wine, and close encounters with grizzly bears and polar bears, plus something called pecan punch and prickly pear syrup. So let's talk to Brandy Yanchik all about Canada. Destination, eat, drink. Brandy, I caught your show, Seeing Canada, on Amazon Prime. I love the show, but for anyone who maybe hasn't seen it, how would you describe Seeing Canada?
1: Wow. Well, for me, it was so much fun to me because I got to go to every province and territory at least twice there are 12 half-hour episodes, and in each episode, we go to two different provinces. Sometimes we go to even more. And the show really focuses on me having a hands-on experience, uh, tasting food, having adventures, uh, going to remote, beautiful places. Also, each episode has an Indigenous story or component to it, where we learn about the First Nations culture in Canada. Um, and we also learned about history, we learned about a lot of national parks, and the goal for me was to really have people learn about Canada's signature experiences, which have been chosen by the Canadian Tourism Department, the sort of the most incredible experiences you can have that are vetted. And then in the second series, I had experiences that were more iconic, but they weren't all in the signature experiences that were vetted just because not everybody can afford to go into a helicopter or, you know, <laughs> fly all these um, into all these amazing float planes sure. because some of those experiences take you to beautiful places, but they're expensive. So I wanted to also give people an opportunity to try things that were in their backyard.
0: I just love the natural beauty of Canada. I mean, I haven't been to Canada since I was a little kid. We lived outside of Detroit, and I remember going across uh, Windsor and into Canada when I was little. And it's been something that's been on my list for so long, and we were planning on going to Canada this summer. And now, you know, because of the pandemic, it looks like it's not going to work out again. Uh, We were going to go to Canada. Uh, There used to be a ferry that ran from Boston— up to Nova Scotia, I believe. And we didn't get to go that summer and then they discontinued the ferry. So I've just had all this bad luck of not being able to go to Canada again. And now I watch your show and I just look at this incredible beauty. And what I really love about your show is a couple of things that you mentioned is it's not the normal touristy things that you see in your show. And also your focus on the First Nations, what we call the indigenous or the American Indian people. In one episode, you are on uh, Manitolan Island, which is in Lake Huron, and you drink cedar tea. And I had never heard of cedar tea. What What can you tell me about drinking cedar tea?
1: Wow. So that was really interesting because literally the indigenous guide I had, he just took the 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 cedar like the the piece from the tree and put it in the water and steeped it and it tasted so good but the smell was incredible and he talked about how it has a lot of medicinal um you know parts to it that if you're not feeling well this is what people would drink and it kind of helped me to connect more to all those things that we see in the forest, but we don't even think about like, oh, we can make tea out of that. And this is, you know, if you grind up this, you can make flour. There's a lot of things, um, that I've learned from going on these indigenous experiences with these incredible guides that they've, uh, learned this, these traditions from their, their, uh, grandparents and, and the ancestors before them. So that, that was a really fun experience. And what's funny about Um, that cedar tea um, adventure I had with the Great Spirit Circle Trail on Manitoulin Island is that we also made bannock bread, which is like this fried bread, and we made it on the stove. And I've had so many emails from women asking me about this recipe. (laughs) And you know, when I think about it, I think bannock is really interesting but I think also that indigenous guide I had was so good looking and charming that maybe that's also why they're emailing me
0: about it. So in your episode on Saskatoon, you tried another thing that I've never heard of before, the Saskatoon berries. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking they look kind of like blueberries, but I got to imagine they taste totally different. Tell me about the Saskatoon berries because they looked very interesting to me. What do they taste like and what do you do with them?
1: Yeah, so I was lucky enough in that episode to be with Chef Dale McKay. And he's actually a Canadian chef and the winner of the first season of, of Top Chef Canada from 2011. And Dale took me out and picked some Saskatoon berries, which are very, very famous um, in Canada. Like all the other provinces would have those berries sort of imported in uh, to make pies and stuff. And they're a bit sour. A bit sour, but also sweet. And they made um, this beautiful, There are a beautiful ingredient in this tart that Dale made with me in the show. And um, I actually, to be honest with you, had only ever had Saskatoon berry jam. So having that tart was incredible. And uh, the place that we picked the berries from was a, a farm that you can go to and you can also just buy pie there that's warm. So if you go to Saskatoon, you you don't try Saskatoon berries, you're really um, you're really making a big mistake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they sound great. Um, another episode was in uh, Quebec, and you visited a cheese maker. I think it's Pied de Vent. Um,
1: Pied de Vent, yes.
0: Their cheese looked amazing. What can you tell me about that cheese maker?
1: Yeah, so it was interesting because. Uh, Pied-de-Vin is a cheesemaker that is on the Magdalen Island. This is a very remote place, and uh, if you get an opportunity to go there, then um, you're very, very lucky. It's, it's near Prince Edward Island, but you have to take a ferry there. Um, I was on a, a, a boat, an expedition vessel, with a, a, about 60 other passengers, and we went there. So basically, uh, pied de Vin, is a semi soft surface ripened cheese. It's made from whole milk of a single dairy of herds, these Canadian herds that are on the Magdalen Islands there on the land. And the name Pied Devant is actually a wind foot. Um, and this refers to the sun's rays peeking through the clouds. And they say that all of the elements of those islands, the Magdalen Islands, the salt coming in from the ocean and the earth. All of that stuff you taste in the cheese. That's sort of the idea of, of that. And, um, I loved it. I tried blue cheese and so many different things. Um, it was great. It was actually, it's funny because we were with a big group, like not that big, like, I don't know, 30 people. And we went to this, um, they call it a fromagerie de pied de And we went into this building and, And we were all tasting the cheese, right? Like all of us in a group. And then I felt like, oh, I got to do something, you know, when no one's around. Can we do this? And we turned it around really quickly. But this is something that anybody who goes to the Magdalen Islands can do. They can just, you know, go and taste those cheeses. It's very accessible. And the food in Quebec is wonderful. Went to university there. And I can tell you that, you know, Quebec has its own foodie culture, its own French language. And it's just one of the most romantic, exciting places to visit. Not just Montreal, but all of Quebec. Every different region of Quebec has something really beautiful to offer. It's actually my favorite place in Canada after Nunavut.
0: They say Quebec is the most French, and this is where most people actually speak French, if my understanding is correct. Talk about the foodie culture of Quebec. How is it different? What are some of the typical dishes that we might find if we went to Quebec?
1: Well, everybody knows about poutine, right?
0: Yes. Very popular in the U.S. in places like Wisconsin and places like that.
1: Yeah. And the thing about poutine is that they have like cheese curds in it. And um, it also has gravy. And I don't know, I associate it with like going out and partying all night and then having some poutine. But <laughs> <laughs> people just eat it because I went to university there. That's sort of where my mind goes. But there's a This delicious cheese curd that's on it that is like it's like called squeaky cheese and you can buy it there. It's just so delicious. They also have these tortillas, these meat pies that are wonderful. They have a specific taste to them, these meat pies from Quebec that I've never had anywhere else. Also I've had pea soup there that was delicious, that's just wonderful, and a lot of a lot of desserts that have maple syrup in them. Right. Because maple syrup is something that grows in Quebec and uh, it's just com- really, really uh, popular. They also have something called sugar pie, which is exactly what it sounds like, a pie made of sugar, <laughs> butter, tart and uh, all these delicious things that make that actually don't seem to make any of the Quebec people fat. So that's the other thing I don't understand about um, Quebecers. They, they are all gorgeous and look amazing. So I don't know what their secret is, but they have one.
0: Oh, wow. You know, it's funny that you say that poutine is like a late night snack after an evening of maybe uh, frolicking and, and drinking. It's, you know, I think of you go out for a, a greasy hot dog or a big fat taco or something like that. But in Quebec, you're going out for poutine <laughs> for cheese curds and gravy. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, and the other thing to think about is um New Brunswick is a province in Canada which which is actually the only bilingual um province because you they they speak English and French there whereas Quebec is a French province province and the rest of the provinces in Canada are English. So it's interesting to think about New Brunswick's food as well because they have a lot of famous Acadian dishes that are delicious too. They have fiddleheads, which they they, they grow there, these sort of green vegetables, lots of seafood. They call them quahogs that are like local clams.
0: Oh, quahogs.
1: Oysters, blueberries, yes.
0: I have never heard of quahogs outside of Rhode Island, and you're the first person who's ever said quahog to me who wasn't from Rhode Island.
1: Well, it's interesting because my mother is from Prince Edward Island. And that's a beautiful uh province with the red sand that has Anna Green Gables. You know she came from there, that famous book. And as a child, we went there every summer, and we would pick quahogs in the ocean with our feet, and then have a big feed all together. That, and it's like a local clam. So um, there's a TV show, I can't remember which one it is, but they have it's like the Quahog Bar or something. I don't know if it's The Simpsons or Family Guy. Family but Guy. They definitely reference. Is it? Okay. They referenced Quahogs. And I remember thinking, oh, isn't that interesting? Because I only ever knew about Quahogs in PEI and in the Maritimes there, in New Brunswick, because New Brunswick is right next to, um, PEI. And this was just something that I grew up with, right? Like it was, it was something that I, um, had in the big soup. And, and you know, everybody has their own recipes and that kind of stuff. But, um, Just for people to understand, these clams, they grow in mud and sandy bottoms of saltwater bays and inlets all around Prince Edward Island and in New Brunswick, and you can hand harvest them. You know, people just go out and do that.
0: In Rhode Island, I lived in Rhode Island for a while, and in Rhode Island, they have what are called Quahog Rakes, and the fishermen, the... People who go and harvest the quahogs, they take this rake and they go through the sand, and that's how that's how they do it. They don't they don't do it with their hands, but they have this giant rake with these big tongs on it, and they scoop up the um, the quahogs that way.
1: So you're telling me that basically my mother made me go out there and <laughs> be bit by crabs and have my feet on, on on shells.
0: I'm not telling you anything, Brandy. I'm just saying this is how they did it in Rhode Island. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. Now the other thing that we did in Prince Edward Island which was so wonderful was we went and um went to this beautiful place called the Table where they have a chef that teaches the customers, the guests how to cook this elaborate meal. And you start the experience this uh truly farm to table experience. By going out with an organic farmer who's, you know, very close to the, to, it's an old church where they have this restaurant called The Table. And you, you, you actually pick your carrots and everything from the field. You learn about how it grows and it's all organic and you bring it in and you make this fantastic meal. And I'm telling you, it was delicious. And another thing we did in Prince Edward Island is we went out with a fisherman. And we learned, um, how mussels are grown. We, we saw how, um, you know, lobsters are caught and crabs. And, uh, he used to be a fisherman himself. And then he basically decided to have this tourism experience. And this experience where you go out on a boat with a fisherman is very common in places like Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, uh, New Brunswick. And it's really a way for tourists to get out and have an opportunity to learn about um, what it's like to actually harvest that food. And it gives these fishermen and fisherwomen an opportunity to make money, you know, as a, a, in a tourism industry, other than just always relying on the fisheries.
0: You know, when I think of drinking in Canada, the first thing that comes to my mind, I think for most Americans, is beer. But I was surprised to find from watching your show that there's a thriving wine industry in Canada, and one of the wine regions is in the Niagara area. What can you tell me about the ice wines of the Niagara area of Canada?
1: Okay, so I, I have to tell you this first. Before I go down the ice wine alley, okay. that there are two really big regions uh, for wineries in Canada, and one is in the Niagara region, which is near Niagara Falls, where, which is near the United States. Everybody knows you know, it's near Buffalo. It's it's like amazing, okay. But then we also have something in British Columbia known as the Okanagan, and I will talk about that after. But this, they're like on two separate ends of Canada, and they have incredible wine. And some of the winemakers have wineries in each of these provinces, and they it's quite interesting. But the ice wine is something that's very special. I never grew up drinking ice wine because. Frankly, we couldn't afford it. It's very expensive. It's very sweet. It's like a dessert wine. And um, now that I'm an adult and I'm supposed to be sophisticated, I have tried ice wine. And it is delicious, but you're not going to be drinking, like, loads and loads of it, okay? You, It's it's, it's very high in alcohol, and it's, it's, it's something that you'll have, like, after dinner. Um, and these ice wine grapes are harvested in the winter. And um, it's very, it's a very technical way that they grow, and it's um, it's very special to the region because of the temperatures there and the specific climate. It, ice wine is not going to grow just anywhere. So what I did is I went to Teller Estate in the show, and they they really push ice wine um, because very popular, okay? And it's very popular for tourists because they want to go into this ice wine room that they have, and it's really cool, and you get to wear these red big jackets and, and taste the ice wine. It's a real touristy thing, and I would recommend it. It's, um, you know, it, it's not like what the winemakers go through when they're freezing in the middle of the night collecting these um, grapes, right? <laughs> it's It's more for the tourists.
0: Right, right. And what about beer? You went to Yukon Brewing. Their beer looks great. I haven't had it before, but it looks awesome. They also have a distillery there. Talk about Yukon Brewing.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, the Yukon is such a wonderful place that is kind of rugged. I think it's, it's good to think about it that way. And, you know, they're interesting because they are targeting the the local people with their beer. They're looking at you know the local stories on the cans and that kind of stuff. They're really taking the mythology of the area when they're you know making their graphics and stuff for their beer. So you're going to have stuff like Red Dog Ale, Midnight Sun, because in in the Yukon the sun stays up for 24 hours in the summertime. You're going to have like the Chilkoot which is uh named after the Chilkoon Trail, which people went on when they were looking for for gold during the gold rush. And it's funny because on the can it says beer worth freezing for. <laughs> and um, they have all these really fun ones, ice balls, Yukon gold, Yukon red. And I, I, I have tasted these. I live in Alberta. These are um something that I take in the show and then I also regularly would have at my home and they're delicious. They taste excellent and they're really fun. I think it's also nice to um support local industries, right? So I'm always reaching for things that are local. They also do make a Yukon single malt whiskey, which is not uh in the show, but I did taste it. It's called Two Brewers and it was super Delicious, and they sort of advertise the idea that it's mashed with water from glacier-fed streams. So you see what I'm saying? We've got this wild area, right? In, you know, with the gold rush history, and then they're mixing this all together with these delicious uh, drinks. With the, you've got beer, you've got whiskey, and that that kind of thing. Um, but there are so many. Craft breweries in Canada. And one of my favorite places that I went was actually in Regina, Saskatchewan. It's called Rebellion Brewery. And I was lucky enough to be there when they opened a cask that was like, I got to open it in the show and taste it and it was delicious. And that was really fun because I've never done that before. But what we did before that is we took cherries and honey and I helped them make mead. And that was really, really interesting. So I learned how, you know, people make mead, that the honeymoon that we go on after we get married has to do with the idea of mead. But, you know, it's all connected to the honeymoon um, but I have to say I did drink the meat and I never got pregnant after being there. So I
0: don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brandy, you talk in your program about some of these remote areas that you go to. And like, I mean, we're talking remote. I mean, Canada is bigger than the United States, but it's got a fraction of the population. So there's all of this open space. And I see you going to these places and there's grizzly bears and there's polar bears and there's brandy going down the river. Um, any close encounters you want to talk about with any wildlife?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I um, used to be really frightened of bears. But after going to Churchill, Manitoba, and um, walking with polar bears and something called Churchill Wild, like these are wild polar bears, we had guards with us, and they we were in a small group, and the guard would hit rocks that would make the sound of the popping of the jaw of the polar bear, and the polar bear would just move away from us. That was an wow. extraordinary experience. Of course, they when you are in polar bear country, whether it be in Nunavut or Manitoba, they have um, guns, right? There's always a polar bear guide. You don't go walking around on a hike without a polar bear guide and somebody with a gun. We've never had to use it, and they've never had to use it. Um So, Churchill Wild, I got to literally walk with polar bears. That's not in the show. I did that for the BBC's travel show. Um I also, in Churchill... Went on these big tundra buggies, they call it, and you could see polar bears, like basically uh, coming towards the, these big buses that you're in, but they they can't touch you and you can't touch them. But it's such a wild, uh, wonderful experience in um, <laughs> in uh, N- uh, Nemo Bay, which is in the Great Bear Rainforest. We saw lots of wildlife. We saw black bears, grizzly bears, and that kind of thing. But in Tweedmere. Um, Uh, Tweedsmere Park, at the Tweedsmere Park Lodge, there are grizzly bears all around us, like, as we were on these boats going down the stream. And one grizzly bear got really close to me. It's in the show. He was probably two meters from me. And I could taste my heart. Like, I was, (laughs) it was, it was pumping so hard. It was, it was in my throat. Like, I've never been so scared. But, uh, that was actually caught on camera, and it's in the show, when the polar bear is coming towards us um not polar bear sorry the grizzly bear coming towards us but here's the thing that i learned number 1 if you are calm if you don't disturb the bear they're not going to bother you if you're with a trained guide who knows what's going on and the the trained guides are responsible they're not going to put you in a situation that's dangerous for you or the bear and we're also on these streams where there's salmon everywhere the bear is just they their not ma- the bears are filling their mouths with salmon or berry. They're not interested in humans, you know? It's not, the, the only thing that's going to be a problem is if you get in between the mama and the cubs, but that's just not going to happen because um, you're not going to be rushing up, you're taking your time, you're listening, all these kinds of things. And actually what was interesting is there was one spirit there, which is with this white uh, bear that everybody wants to see in the Great Bear Rainforest that would actually bring its cubs, and it was a mama bear. It would bring its cubs to where the tourists would uh, be. It's a very small um, group of tourists that would go out with this indigenous uh, guide. And the idea was that the, the, mama cubs, the mama bear and the cubs would come because they actually felt protected by the people. Wow. I made a film called uh, The Price of the Prize, which was about the fight to end grizzly bear trophy hunting in the Great Bear Rainforest in British Columbia. Right. And the indigenous uh, communities there were fighting it and the local people and, um, and basically they did ban trophy hunting for grizzly bears. So I think you have to imagine that those bears don't feel intimidated because they're not being shot. That also makes a huge difference, right? Sure. Um, another really cool sort of kind of a feeding animal experience. Is in none of us in the territory in the Arctic, um, I saw a whale carcass because one of the communities there, um, basically were allowed to hunt a whale. And then the, the whole community uses parts of the whale to make things. And I went with an Inuit soap maker who was making soap out of the blubber from the whale. And that's in the show. And, uh, I mean, just, will see the shot of me standing there amongst the carcass of the whale. And it's enormous. It's enormous. Um and just so I know some people will think, oh my goodness, they're killing whales, but it's it's um there's only so many they're allowed to kill and they, it's not like all the communities. It's a very complicated system that has very uh, stringent rules about that. Now another beautiful place to go if you really like food is Newfoundland and Labrador. And um I went to Gross uh Gross National Park and went to this little bakery called the Chocolate Moose Bakery and Cafe. And there we made this raisin bread and also scrunchies, which is like the pork fat. Oh my goodness. You have to watch the show to understand this one, but it was delicious. And then I also had a shore lunch in Newfoundland, um, in a, a small place called Twillingate, where we literally collected different things that were growing around the area and had some different types of fish. Uh, it was, wonderful and it's not just like the food you're eating it's the environment so being there on the shore smelling the wood burning and the ocean it adds to the whole idea of like a real feast
0: sure you just
1: feel it's a primal it's a it's a wonderful experience
0: now brandy you've got a new show out um we talked about seeing canada your new show is called seeing the usa talk about some of the places where you've been in the u.s some of your favorite experiences there
1: well, this show has taken me to seven uh, different states, and that includes Alaska, Oregon, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Louisiana, and Hawaii. And some of the foody aspects of it come um, when I'm thinking about trying uh, Basque food in Nevada, in the Carson Valley. We went to JT uh, Basque's Bar and Grill, and oh my goodness, we're the most delicious, chicken. And we also had um some pork and some vegetables. Also at the JT Basque Bar and Dining Room, which is in Gardnerville, Nevada, they have something called pecan punch, oh. which is a Basque drink, but only from uh North American um Basque people. It's not actually um from the old country. It was developed in the United States, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. It's a beautiful drink. And, uh, whoa, does it give you a hit? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, whoa, can I stand up after we did a few takes of that? That was pretty wild. Um, another thing that we did is in Louisiana, this is like a fantastic foodie, uh, show, of course, in New Orleans, I made a po boy sandwich at the famous mother's restaurant, which was incredible. I ended up, like, not being able to finish it because it was so huge and ate it for breakfast the next day. It was so good. Like, that's how good it was. I tried the famous Nazareth cocktail in New Orleans. Um, But then my favorite place was visiting this really neat cafe called the Thief Follet Cafe. And it's in the St. John the Baptist Parish, which is um, outside of New Orleans down the road from the Whitney Plantation, which is a plantation which has an exclusive focus on the lives of the enslaved people. So you go to the Whitney Plantation and stop by the Cipollet Cafe, and the lady who owns it, Joe Banner, is a descendant of the plantation, and she makes the most delicious tea cakes, and I had an opportunity to to make uh, pralines with her. They were really fun and delicious. But she wouldn't teach me how to make the tea cake recipe that was, you know, passed down from her Secret. <laughs> Her great-great-great-grandmother. Right. And they were really, really good.
0: You know, it's interesting because when Katrina hit in 2005, a lot of people left New Orleans and some of them wound up in Houston. A few of them wound up in Austin, Texas. And we lived in Austin for a little while. And a lot of these folks from Louisiana, they opened up their own food places. And there's a lady who makes wonderful pralines in Austin, Texas. There's a nice New Orleans restaurant uh, called, uh, I think it's Evangeline's down there. So these people from New Orleans have migrated because of Katrina. You know, they had to leave, they lost everything, and they just started up a new life in these other places. And these little outposts of New Orleans are popping up in different places in the southern United States.
1: I thought it was really interesting too interviewing Joe Banner from the FIFA Cafe in um Louisiana because she said like, I wanted to have a tourism business that was sustainable in my own community. I didn't want to have to leave. So she's using mm-hmm. these recipes from her relatives who are descendants of a plantation, which are, is down the road that all these people are going to visit. Cause they, this is the, you know, a lot of people want to go to a plantation and learn about the lives of the enslaved. They don't just want to go and look at the, the, the pretty buildings. They want to know what, what really happened there. Right and be educated, so she's been able to create this business where you know you can sort of debrief when you get to the cafe you can have a biscuit, these tea cakes, you can sit outside, you can talk to her there's pictures of her grandparents and all these other relatives um all on the walls It's an interesting um concept, and I think it works um it also you know these food places give um people an opportunity to have a job, right, in the the small community that they might have to leave if they couldn't find a job.
0: You know, New Orleans is definitely one of my favorite towns to visit, and I'll have to look up the uh, Fifolet Cafe the next time that we're in uh, Louisiana because it sounds really great. Any other foodie places in your new program, Seeing the USA, that you want to talk about, Brandy?
1: Well, it was supposed to be like this, but somehow Arizona is like the foodie episode. We had all these other things planned and then like I they kept being sort of cancelled or we change our minds and then by the time we were there, I was like, this is the most foodie episode and it was wonderful. I thought, oh you know what? Sometimes you just gotta go with the flow. Sure. And when I was thinking about Arizona, I did not think about food. Really no. that was not in my mind, right? So, in Phoenix, we went to the Desert Botanical Garden and we had this beautiful tour of the incredible vegetation there. And then I had an opportunity to try the prickly pear syrup. And I bought a bottle and took it home with me, and I have it all the time, actually on my egos. <laughs> and then in Scottsdale, we did a um, a dish with Chef Jeremy Pacheco at Lawns Restaurant. And that was really, really good. We made, like, a sausage thing, and um, he taught me how to make gnocchi from scratch. It was so good that when we finished filming, I was like, this is my food, and I'm eating this for lunch. And, like, the rest of the crew ordered food, and I wanted to to actually eat what the chef and I had made together. And I wasn't sharing. Like, I wasn't (laughs) sharing. Which is like, you know, that just shows you how good it was. Um, and then then we had this beautiful experience um, in uh, Tucson at Barrio Bread with um, this bread maker, Don Dara. He's actually quite famous, and I'd heard about him. I'd heard that people would be lining up to get his bread, and I didn't really believe it. I was like, whatever, like, who lines up for bread? When we got there, So first, sorry. How I found that out is he said you need to come and get shots before the restaurant. I mean, before the bakery opens because all the breads going to be gone. I was like, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. he's exaggerating. Oh no, 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 no. We show up. There's like 50 people in line to get this bread, right? And they're like so enthusiastic. The buzz was crazy. Went inside. We got all the shots of the bread and all that stuff. And then they open the door and like you know all these customers go in. They have stayed open during COVID. Uh, they have organized it so that, you know, people are not in the shop together. But he has such a following. It's that popular. And in the show, you see how I'm making bread with him. And he also teaches people how to make bread. And he's just an incredible person. If you're into bread, you've got to look up Don Guerra. That's G-U-E-R-R-A. Barrio Bread, which is B-A-R-R-I-O Bread. Tucson. It's awesome. And then the last thing we did there, I went out with a man named Noel and we uh, learned about beekeeping and I had this incredible um, bee honey tasting. Well, I didn't taste the bees, but I had the honey tasting. <laughs> so what he did is he had a plate. It was at the Marival Resort Resorts there in Spa in Tucson and he had like different samples of honey. I'll tell you, I didn't know that Honey tasted different depending on what the ingredients were that the bees were eating.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: taking the pollen fun or whatever. So we went around and I tasted them and he told me, you know, this one's gritty because of this and this is from this part of the world and, you know, this is from the same area, but six months later, it was fascinating. And, um, it actually totally changed the way that I look at, um, at, at honey and just these beautiful bees. I mean, we know they're important. But sometimes when you have that experience, it kind of, you know, uh, changes your mind about things. So I would say that Arizona is a very good foodie place. And especially right now when people are, like, thinking about vacations and they don't want to get on a plane, they just want to drive somewhere. If you can go to Arizona, you can have all of those experiences that I talked about. You can go to Lon's restaurant um, and eat the food there. You can meet the chef. You can go to the the barrio bread. You can do the beekeeping. You can go to Louisiana, you can have a po' boy, you can meet Joe Banner at the FIFO Cafe. There's so many awesome opportunities for people if they just, you know, go to places in their backyard.
0: Yeah, support these local places. I mean, we were supposed to be coming home from Italy right about now. We were supposed to be going to Canada this summer. Uh, None of those things are going to be happening, but you can support your local business. And it doesn't mean that you have to go into the restaurant because there's this whole thing about going into restaurants. But, you know, most of these places are at least open for you to get delivery or carry out or takeaway or whatever. And it's so important because they're saying 50%, 75% of these small businesses could never reopen again, which just breaks my heart when you think about it.
1: And for me, like my birthday was last Saturday, and my husband said, what do you want? And I said, what I want is Chinese food, and I want it from this restaurant, and these are the items. (laughs) And that's like literally, that's all I wanted because, don't get me wrong, he is an excellent cook, and he's the one who's been cooking because he loves to cook, but we've been at home for six weeks, and I'm very spoiled from doing these shows. I, you know, let's be realistic. I've had some amazing food with amazing chefs. And so I was like, "What can I have?" And I'm telling you, when I had that dim sum, it was incredible. It was so good. And they actually had a discount because they're trying to get people to come pick up stuff, right? So there are even incentives if you don't have a lot of money. Don't be scared because some places might have a discount right now if you go and pick up. If you don't, you know what I mean? Yes. And if they're following social distancing and uh, people are wearing masks, then you don't have to worry about about uh you know catching anything if you're picking something up you just have to be careful and
0: follow all the guidelines well brandy janchik thank you for being on the program we are looking forward to what you have next but for now while we're all in our houses and our apartments everyone should go to um amazon prime look up seeing canada look up seeing the usa watch these programs they're fascinating they look great on the on the uh big screen on my TV And thank you for doing the shows. Thank you for being on the program.
1: Thank you so much. And I can't, like, I cannot wait. My belly is so hungry. I want to get out there and and taste some of that great food that I'm missing right now.
0: I'll tell you, Brandy has such a passion for her home country of Canada. Glad to be able to talk to her. And you can get uh, Seeing Canada on Amazon Prime. It's definitely worth it. Some great, great episodes. And of course, her new show is called Seeing the USA. It's also available on Amazon Prime. That is going to put a bow on this week's episode of Destination Eat Drink. Next week, we're on the island of Crete. So, Definitely get ready for that. While you're waiting for it, go to DestinationEatDrink.com. Lots of new content on DestinationEatDrink.com, including a blog post about a dessert in New Zealand that's named after a ballerina. Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the blog tab. Or you can check out one of the 40-plus foodie destination guides that I have there, including places in New Zealand or places in Hawaii, or places in the United States. There's a ton of them there. Check out DestinationEatDrink.com. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.